What I love about Christmas is that it's, it's like the touch point of hope for every believer. If you're a believer in Jesus today, um, Christmas is filled with hope and it's full of hope. And I want to share with you this morning um, about why Jesus coming as a baby gives us hope. And hope has been in short supply. I'm sure, you know, you're all aware. Over the last couple of years, there's been so much stuff going on, so much going down in the world, and so much negativity and uh, trauma and people dying and all sorts. Hope has been uh, in short supply. But I want to tell you, the coming of Jesus gives us a lot of reasons to have hope, and I want to just share some of those reasons with you why the birth of Jesus gives us hope. Basically, it's because God is coming to us in the birth of Jesus in that little stable at the back of a hotel in Bethlehem so long ago. That's God coming down to us. You know, He meets us where we are. And I want you to know this morning that God is not watching you from a distance. You know, like a song someone sang years ago, you know, from a distance, God is watching us. He's not watching. He's right where you are right now. And He's right here amongst us right now. It's not from a distance. It's right here. And God comes to us. He's not remote, up there somewhere, but we don't know where. I want to tell you, friend, He's on your side this morning. He's with you right now. And that's why that name, Emmanuel... Emmanuel, God with us. That's where that came from. God is with us. He's with you right now. So God comes to us, firstly, in our humanness, in the fact that you are a human. He comes to us right there. You know, throughout history, there's been lots of times where God came. God came down and, and met with individual people. His heart was always to save people and to, to, to bring them to himself. But after so long of doing that, it was time for God's master plan of salvation to be put into, in, into practice. And so he said, God said, I'll become one of them. I'll become just like them, like the people I've created. And so we see Jesus born as a baby in Bethlehem. And it's a profound picture of God meeting with humanity, the, the, the pure Son of God, as a baby lying in a dirty feed trough. You know, the, the, the dazzling, amazing, the brilliance of God's glory just reduced down to a feed trough in a stable. It's an incredible thing. And it just shows God coming to humanity where we are. And He comes to all of us, to anyone who's ready for Him. God comes to everyone who's ready for Him. You know, friends, God's plan to save humanity is big enough for the whole world. It's big enough for everyone. But we didn't always get it. It didn't start off that way. Or the, the early church, when after Jesus rose and went back to heaven, the early church set about, you know, um, establishing themselves, and they didn't quite understand that God's plan was for everyone. In fact, they kept it to themselves for about 10 years. And it was quite amazing that the early church, even though it started out in the fire of God and the power of God was there, the Holy Spirit was there, miracles were happening all the time. It was just amazing. But guess what? It was kind of monocultural. In fact, someone, some people could look at it and say it was actually, you could almost say it was racist because it was, it was uh, exclusive to one nationality, one ethnic group, the Jewish people. For 10 years, they never told anyone else about Jesus. 
And they didn't, what they didn't understand is that God's plan was so expansive and so dynamic, it could never be contained merely to one ethnic group. It was always going to break out. And I want to share with you this morning what happened when it did break out for the first time in the book of Acts, chapter 10. It tells us this story of this guy called Cornelius. And he was the first one to really, that we read about in the detail of it, we read about who got the message about Jesus. So let's read Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. So there was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, very Roman sort of a name, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God. He was always helping people in need, and he had the habit of prayer. Well, what about this guy? Cornelius is a legend. He, he's amazing. He's got there's everything good about this guy, and it seems like nothing bad. I mean, this, he's the guy you want to have living next door to you, right, as your neighbor. But there was something wrong. Let's, let's read on. One day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. Oh, and I have this picture in my mind of the angel grabbing you by the shoulders and saying, Hey, Cornelius, wake up. I want to tell you something. And you know what came next is really amazing. It, you know, I, I wanted to say it'll blow your doors off. But it, it's really amazing what happened, what the angel said to Cornelius. When you read the next chapter, chapter 11, we get all the detail of this. And it's Peter telling the story. And this angel says to Cornelius, Cornelius, what I want you to do is go and call this guy called Peter. He's going to tell you how to be saved. Uh, I can imagine if it was like today, it'd be like, Cornelius, I'm sending you and I'm texting you this guy's address. Give him a call. He's going to tell you everything you need to know about how to be saved. And there's, there's some amazing things about this. Number one, Cornelius, as good as he was, a thoroughly good man. He led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God. He was always helping people in need and he had the habit of prayer. What else can you need? What else do you need, you know? But the angel said, Cornelius, you are not saved. Hey, that's pretty scary. What that says to me, friends, is it doesn't matter how good you are or how good I am. If I don't know Jesus, I'm not saved. If I haven't had that personal encounter with him, it's not enough. You know, Cornelius, he, he believed in God. Guess what? The Bible says that the devil believes in God and the demons believe in God and they tremble with fear. It's not enough to believe in God. You've got to meet Jesus. Second thing about this, which is amazing, is here's this angel talking to Cornelius. And I know that God loves, there's a lot of angels in heaven. And you, you might not be able to see them right now, but angels, they're here right now. You know, the Bible talks about, and Tanya was sharing before about angels. We need, we need to give them a, bit, a little bit more profile, I think. But... God loves his angels, and I guarantee they're great communicators. And here's this angel saying, Cornelius, you need to get saved. But here's what to do. Go and call this guy called Peter, this bumbling, inarticulate fisherman who can probably hardly string two words together on his own. He will tell you the way of salvation. Why didn't the angel just do it? What, the angel could have said, hey, Cornelius, I want to tell you about Jesus. 
how to come to know Jesus. God said, I want to use that guy. It could have been a woman, but it was a guy in this case. And I want to tell you, the reason what's so amazing about this is, is that God uses people. He uses people like you and me. He works through people and he uses people because that's what God does. In spite of our weakness and fallibility and our frailness, God says, I want to use you. I want to come to you where you are as a human, as a person. I'm not going to just use angels. I'm not going to just do things miraculously through some other supernatural. I want to use people. He comes to us in our humanness. Second thing, second way God comes to us is he comes to us in our ordinariness, our everyday, I just invented that word, everyday routine. He comes to us where we are right now. And I want to read to you from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 this morning. It says there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. This is the, when Jesus was born as a baby. They had set night watches over their sheep, and this is like the night shift. And suddenly God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. I can imagine they were freaked out. They were terrified, it says. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town, Bethlehem. So God came to those shepherds in the middle of their everyday work, they weren't expecting it. They, you know, they were just going about their, their, the routine of what they did, and they were surprised by God. And that's often what happens. You know, God, God comes to us when we least expect it, and He just comes and breaks in on our world and cuts across what we're doing, and He meets people right where they are at when they least expect it. These shepherds, you know, they never left home that evening saying, you know, like the guy saying to his wife, don't, don't worry about breakfast tomorrow morning, honey. I've I, I got a feeling I'm going to be late, okay? He never said, they never said that because they had no idea what was about to break, break out upon them. And God meets us in the middle of our ordinary, wherever you're at. He meets you right there. There's another great example from the book of Acts uh, from the missionary trips of, of the Apostle Paul in, in Acts chapter 14. And the Apostle Paul came to a certain place uh, in chapter 14 of Acts, verse 8. It says, there was a man at Lystra, a place called Lystra, okay? Uh, there was a man in Lystra who couldn't walk. And he sat there, crippled since the day of his birth. And Paul and Barnabas had just arrived in this town. They, they were sent out. And uh, they had the message of God just burning in their heart. They wanted to help people. They wanted to pray for the sick. They wanted to tell people about Jesus. They came. They saw this guy. Paul, looking him in the eye, saw that he was ripe for God's work. I love that. He was ready to believe. So he said, loud enough for everyone to hear, up on your feet. The man was up in a flash. He jumped up and walked around as if he'd been walking all of his life. And then the crowd, it says, saw what Paul had done. They went wild, calling out in their Lyconian dialect, the gods have come down. These men are gods. They'd never seen this sort of thing happen before. The gods have come down to us. They were very, they were steeped in like Greek mythology and all the Greek gods. The gods have come down to us. They called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, since Paul did most of the speaking. So all of a sudden, these guys who were just visitors to town, they were celebrities. They were, 
You know, um, they, were, they wanted to um, treat him like they were gods. And if you read the rest of the story, it actually says there that the, the priest of the local uh, temple of Zeus, you know, which was a, you know, a, a Greek mythological god that they worshipped, he, he got together a parade and they had animal sacrifices and they were, you know, with trumpets blowing. They wanted to, they wanted to, to uh, make Paul and Barnabas into some kind of great celebrity and make out they were gods. And so Paul says, hey, hang on, hang on a minute. No, 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 no. We are just ordinary people just like you guys. He wouldn't hear of it. And it was all he could do to contain them because they were so, you know, wrapped up in this idea that this miracle had happened. So what Paul said was really interesting. He said, we're not gods. We're men just like you. We're here to bring you the message of salvation. And he said, there's nothing extraordinary about this. It, it should be. It's a routine part of everyday life for a Christian, for a believer in Jesus. And I really like that because what it says is that God has come to make the miraculous routine and to make your routine miraculous. I don't know if you can get a hold of it this morning. God wants to bring the supernatural into our everyday lives and make our everyday lives as mundane and routine as they might be to make it amazing. God comes to us in the middle of our ordinariness. So, friend, I want to say, whatever you're going through right now, no matter how mundane that might be, how ordinary that might seem to be, how, I don't like to use the word boring, but you might use it, but if you use the word boring, how boring it might be, God wants to come down in the middle of your boring and make it exciting and incredible and amazing because that's what God does. He meets us right where we are in the middle of our mundane and our ordinariness the third thing the third way that god comes to us and i'm nearly finished here he comes to us in our sinfulness and in our failure i, I love this verse in psalm 18 it says you know god says you have given me your salvation as my shield your right hand O lord supports me your gentleness has made me great your gentleness has made me great. Another way, that word gentleness is quite difficult to translate, but um, it's often translated in other versions as you stooped down to make me great. Or some say your, your humility has made me great, but you stooped down to make me great. Imagine that. God in heaven stooped down to where we are, David, King David said, and made me great. So, the humility, the, the most simple and basic side of God is enough to make us great, to make you great today. God meets us where we are, in our weakness, in our failure, in our sinfulness. You know, we have this image of God, um, this image of, you know, of, of, about Christmas of, of a baby in a feed trough, the risen son of God, the, the son of God as a baby in a feed trough. And then we also have this other picture of the son of God hanging on a cross 33 years later, suspended between heaven and earth, accused of treason, hanging on a cross. And the crown of thorns that they put on his head, you know, pulled down over his royal head. And, you know, there were, there were drops of blood that came out and would have, would have run down and, and touched the ground. I want you to think about this for a moment because that's God touching the earth. That's a beautiful picture of God coming to our 
broken, dysfunctional earth. The human mind says, and the religion created by the human mind says, make yourself clean, deal with your sin, sort yourself out, and then you can come to me or come to God. That's what, that's what religion tells you. When you get yourself sorted out, then you can come to God. But the living God says, I'm coming to you. I've paid for your sin. I'm going to transform your life. I'm declaring you clean right now because the price for your sin has already been paid. You know, there's another picture about the salvation that Jesus offers, and it's the picture of the prodigal son. Many of you know the, the story of the prodigal son. I won't go through it this morning, but it's like this guy who, this young guy, who wanted his inheritance early, and he, and he took the money and left, went his own way. Everything, the wheels fell off it, as you'd expect, and, and he, he ends up in the pig pen, and his, his life is a mess. I was thinking about this, you know, and I don't know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but it's just... <laughs> I reckon probably not many of us in this room have worked in pig pens. I have. I've spent quite a lot of time working in pig pens. And I know what it's like. And I'm telling you, it's awful. The stink is terrible. And you can, you can work there. If you work there for a few, like a few days or a few weeks, after that, it takes a few more. You, you can have as many showers and use as much deodorant. It takes, it takes days to come out of your system. Anyway, it's bad. This guy, he ended up in a pig pen. And he came, and he, and he says, this is awful. I've got to go back to my father. Comes back. He comes through the gate. He comes stumbling back through the gate. His feet are bruised, you know, and, and sore. He's got no shoes on. He's destitute. All his money is gone. All the father's money is gone. <laughs> he smells of the pigs, you know. And the father welcomes him immediately. And he says, he says bring out the best robe. I looked at that word for the word best. It's, it's amazing. It means the first or the finest or what comes first. The number one robe in the house, basically. I, I don't know what your wardrobe looks like. Maybe you've got your wardrobe all lined up with your best clothes on one end and the ordinary clothes on the other end. This was the finest robe in the house. Bring it out and put it on him right now. That's amazing. Bring out some shoes for his feet and put a ring on his finger, which is very significant in itself. But I want you to think for a moment just about the ring. The father welcomes him with the family ring. It was like a checkbook in those days. The, the ring going on, a dirty finger. Just imagine that. Putting that ring on a dirty finger. That's the way God comes to us. That's the way God comes to us. He says, I'm coming to welcome you as my son. I'm welcoming you as my daughter, as my child. And I'm not asking you to sort yourself out first. I'm coming, I'm offering you my salvation no matter how you are. I'm just offering that to you right now. And you might say, I'm, I'm too unclean to come to God. Guess what? It's too late because he's already come to you. He's already come to you this morning. He's already here right now. And he says, I've paid the price. I can welcome you home today. I can welcome you home this morning. Can we have our creative team to come back up right now? You might not feel like you're worthy enough for God. And he says, it's okay. It's okay. You don't need to feel worthy. I'm not asking you to feel worthy. I'm not asking you to sort out your stuff. I'm just saying, come to me. I've done everything that you need.
And when you come to Jesus, something happens. That transformation begins and you open your heart to him. And, you know, when he comes on the inside, he begins to reveal his love for you. He begins to reveal his grace and what it feels like to be forgiven. You know, <laughs> forgiveness is an amazing thing. You know, I hear so many people say, you know, when I, when I first asked Jesus into my life, I felt like this massive weight had gone off my shoulders, you know, because of just knowing what forgiveness feels like, it's amazing. The Son of God, like that ring going on a dirty finger, that's you and I. That's God's stamp of approval, God's ownership all around us, no matter how dysfunctional we might feel. I might think we are this morning. I want you to close your eyes for a moment.